50 episodes. 50 episodes? 50. I can't even count that high. I wouldn't even try. I get confused after 42. It's a disadvantage when your fingers don't work and you're trying to count things. Because like I, I basically get stuck at one. Right. I'm like one. One. One still. <laughs> one still. <laughs> can you do, I get, no, you can't do decimals with only one working, one working day. I mean, you can do half of one. You can point five. <laughs> <laughs> It's not very often I have to count to 0.7 or something. That's true. Oh no, I fear I fear that this episode I'm going to be distinctly unclever because you just woke up. I just woke up from a nap, yeah, because my I was on vacation last week and so we kind of banked an episode and so I've been in a kind of uh different circadian rhythm and now I'm all fucking befuddled. I don't know what the fuck is going on, what is up or down. Yeah. How was your nap? I had a nap that was so like deep and like and like and like hard. It was like we're, we're so, are we talking about naps? We are, we are. It was very also the adjectives you're choosing for naps. I know. A deep hard nap. <laughs> yeah, it was real deep and real hard. Uh-huh. And the thing is, you know how like when you sleep, it kind of like demarcates your your day. It's like the end of a scene in your life. You like go to sleep. And then you wake up and it's like a new day. Yeah. Well, I, I slept so hard Indeed. that it felt like I started a new day within the other day. So you think it's currently tomorrow right now? Yeah. Like my body is like, oh, it's tomorrow. You can now think clearer than you did in the previous day. So then why is that going to negatively affect your performance on the show? I, I'm not sure. I just wonder because right I tried to access... Uh, my brain for a clever joke about like decimal numbers mm-hmm. and it just said no it was like a hard it was like a paywall on a pretentious news site it was like you can't keep reading imagine being able to pay your brain to be smarter for you <laughs> that would be so sweet like at the end of a work day and your boss is like can you do a couple more hours yeah. and you're just like <laughs> just give me ten dollars for this content right right that would be sweet yeah, yeah, you send like a PayPal link to your brain and your brain is like, oh, fine. The other day, my attendant, uh, they're, they're like always super short. And so they asked if I could. Wait, wait, your attendant's always like short in terms of temperament or height? Like when you go to Wonderland and they're like, you have to be this tall to get on the ride. Uh-huh. If you can't get on the ride, they hire them as an attendant. Oh, that was such a convoluted bad joke. <laughs> it really that was. was so we have to keep it. I though. was trying to yes and, but I was, oh. didn't know where to go with it. You said they're always short, as in it sounded like like they're always of poor temperament. Oh no no no! I mean like short stuff. Like there's never any. Oh, always short. Oh fuck! Sorry, yeah, I yeah. didn't realize you were talking about this. So then I made a height joke, and we're already off the rails. We should probably <laughs> warn people. That, yeah. you know, if you're expecting this episode to be what you have come to know and hopefully love about our show, uh-huh. it's not going to be that this time. Tony, you're we're sp- you're supposed to buy in 100% fully into the premise that this is an appropriate film for our show. This is going to be better than every episode we've ever done. Yeah. Because it's our 50th episode. But because it's our 50th episode... It's a little, we took some creative liberties for our own sanity. Uh-huh. And I think we're going to have a good time. Yeah. But just 
if you're coming here to like add a reference to your white paper, it might not be the place to go. What's a white paper? It, a, white, a white paper is like like when researchers write something oh, yeah. that like creates a new idea, like a, some thought leader creates some. You know? oh, I've never heard that phrase before. I don't know. It shows you what a fantastic academic I would have been. <laughs> I guess I know that because of my master's degree where I had to look at so many white papers and decided I didn't want to create one. <laughs> it's like if your idea is shit, your supervisor makes you write it on toilet paper. That brown paper towel from high school. Oh, God. Just recycled shit paper. It's so coarse. It like it, it gives you like uh, third degree burns. I'm certain I'd rather wipe myself with an Amazon box. Amazon boxes are so hard to open with cerebral palsy. Oh yeah, tell me why. Yeah, you got you got me a birthday uh, gift of a of a a book about the Sopranos and all all the episodes of the Sopranos. Yeah, and uh, which I'll admit felt a little bit like I was enabling you. <laughs> it's so true. You did enable me. Like when I was going through gift ideas in my head, I was like, "This, I know he's gonna love this." Is it going to spark an intervention later on? Uh, you thought maybe it would be like less dangerous to just send me a Mickey of hard liquor? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I was actually pretty close to convincing your mom to let me get you a cat. You were 100% super close. Like, I feel like I, I was close. Yeah, my heart has never been so full of hope that I might actually have a cat in my life. I feel like I can get it. Like I don't have a timeline for you, uh-huh. but I think it's gonna happen. If it if it ever does, if it does happen, I'll figure out some way to fucking reciprocate. But like that's just that was that it was because like maybe have we I, given enough talk? context though? By the yeah, way, because, I was just gonna say yeah, because you're refer- you're referencing a time near my birthday when we were on we were on Discord together, like we were on voice chat essentially, and my mom was in the room because during my vacation, my mom. Actually, like, kind of stationed herself in the garage and started watching her like Christmas cooking shows, like with me, like while I was gaming, which is pretty sweet. It wasn't like invasive or whatever. She's just like, oh, my she was son's happy to have her garage back. Yeah, she's like, my son's garage is no longer a workspace, and therefore I'm going to watch my cooking shows. Yeah, uh, like when while while he's in the room. And then so she got sort of accustomed to the rhythm of you calling me and interacting with me. And then your favorite thing with my mom now is apparently making jokes about how you're going to send me a cat. I know that they seem like jokes, but I'm honestly testing the waters. (laughs) You know when you're baking and you have to stick a toothpick in the cake to see if it's done yet? That's what I'm doing to your mom. Yeah, like, is she going to react positively yet? Can I order a cat? You know what's funny? Like you've graduated from being like the uh, stand-up, uh, reliable, like friend of mine who's co-creating a podcast mm-hmm. and who's like the mysteries of your life are 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 still opaque to her. You've graduated from that state to being like someone who is a potentially a sarcastic shit. Right. And that's that's definitely. That's definitely a promotion in the eyes of my mom. Because oh, now that now 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 that she knows that you can joke about like putting a cat in her house, which is an idea that she resists, 
She's like, oh, he's the same as Jamie's friend Franco or his sarcastic shit friend Steve Pashenak or something like that. So she's like joking now about you. And that she's like, she's not quite sure what you're going to do if you're going to play some 40 chess on her and send her a domestic animal. I am honestly trying to figure out what would happen if I did. I want to have her on the podcast to ask her herself, but I feel like I'm getting very close to getting a cat with the right criteria that she would be like, fine. I guess he wins this game. Checkmate. Yeah. Imagine, imagine, like, I hope that, uh, I don't, I don't know how it's going to play out. Tony. You have to give me some time. Cause I like, I know I can't do it too soon or it will blow up in everyone's face. Yeah. But, the last few interactions I've had with her have turned from like, ah, ah, I, I don't really know you, so I don't really know if you're joking, to like, she'll start dishing insults back at me. Yeah, it's true. And that's where I'm like, oh, we're getting somewhere here. Yeah. So that, like, pretty soon she's going to be like, a very funny, Anthony. Why don't you count to one point? <laughs> yeah. And I'll be like, good move, checkmate. <laughs> I have 0.7 of two fingers. Anyway, go back to how you struggle to open Amazon boxes because that's exciting for me. Oh, I just, I spent half the day trying to figure out how to fucking open the box. Really? Does your mom purposely not help you because that's part of the adventure? Well, yeah, because also it's, it's just a point of pride for me. It's just a box. It should be able to open the fucking box. Oh. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. did you? I did, yeah. I tore it. I ripped it open. And then it was in a bag, too. Yeah. The bag was probably pretty easy for you, though. Oh, no, the bag was fine. Yeah, it was just like some, just like a, a, stick, a sticker. Yeah, you just you just go ham on it. Yeah. And then, so you did enable me, yeah, because you put more Sopranos content in my, into my life. And now that means that I'm going to be able to rant about the Sopranos even more vociferously and articulately. And you're just going to have to fucking deal with it, Tony. If anything, I'm hoping it will improve your soprano impression. Yeah. Because, you know, it's started to get... You're very good at the voice. Yeah, but I'm just swearing. But your right? content with it is always just fucking, fucking, fucking. And I'm like, all right. What are you trying to say? What, you do. what the hell are you trying to say? What is this? <clears throat> I'm just going to pause and let you keep talking. <laughs> no, no, I'm done. I'm done. I swear, I'm done. How was your vacation? I'm so excited. My... Vacation starts the end of this week. My vacation was ridiculous. First half was really normal. You know, I had a list of TV shows that I needed to watch, needed to catch up on. It was It was also your birthday. Yeah. Official happy podcast birthday. You know, obviously I wish you a happy birthday. You did, yeah. And you released you released a new picture of me from the vault of all my friends' covert pictures of me. I don't know what you're talking about. You definitely yeah, yeah. released that yourself. You, you fucking put it on, put it on Instagram. You definitely released that yourself. <laughs> and call myself hot, hot Jamie. Imagine I do that now all the time. That Tony, he's so hot right now. Tony, Jamie, so hot right now. So yeah, the first the first half of my vacation was pretty like run of the mill, where you know I played all my games and. Well, you must have eaten an absurd amount of dessert for your birthday. Oh, I just, I constantly have to swat like dessert away. Like I can't, Yeah. there's just cookies coming from Bay Village. Then there's like cake coming from fucking the uh, current river bakery. There's Persians and fucking brownies. Persians. I feel like you have to explain that one a bit more. 
Persians on the podcast. You're swatting Persians away? I'm swatting. I'm smacking them right in the face. Yeah. Yep. So get out of here, Persians. <laughs> Too much sugar for me. <laughs> Persians referred to like a, a regional specific donut that is super popular in Thunder Bay for some reason. I have no idea why they're called Persians, but they're like basically fried, like fried bread covered in a, like a, a pink icing, like a sweet, uh, delicious pink icing that is neither whipped nor like. You're literally drooling having this conversation. Am I? It's so delicious. They are honestly like it's like one of the most delicious donuts ever. I've had hundreds of them, so they're um, you know their appeal has like diminished a little bit. But I still, when I think about them, obviously salivate. Uh, anyway, so yeah, it's a donut, not a person or like you know a demographic of people. You're the second person now that I've talked to who says donut that way. And it donut. Always, it always catches me. What? How am I supposed to say it? I don't know. You say donut. Donut. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fine. It's a donut. You can say it's just wrong. Donut. D- yeah. I suppose it is in the shape of a nut. Yeah, but that's how it how it's spelled. Well, here's the thing: Persians don't have donut holes. Well, and, and some people what? say, yeah. I actually had a visitor, like a good friend of mine, come visit one time, and he kept calling it a Persian donut, and I was like, no. Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Is a donut like a Boston cream doesn't have a hole? Is that a donut? Yeah, that is a donut. Is it a donut or a donut? <laughs> it's a donut. <laughs> I mean, whatever. You can say however you want. But I mean, if it, if it, if it's, it's a if it's a common item that gets like unthawed at Tim Hortons, it's a donut. If it's baked in oh, a lo- right. local, if it's baked in a local Italian deli. It's a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> in Thunder Bay, then it's a fucking Persian, baby. Okay. So you had a bunch of desserts. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it just it didn't stop. Oh, yeah. That's that's yeah. that's when I had all my coworkers over for sex in a pan. You guys had dessert too, right? We did, yeah. Okay. <laughs> ah, good one. Um, but you're right. Like, my, my life does seem to revolve more around like dessert than the sun. Are we, does it, did it take 50 episodes to get to this conclusion? Kind of, I guess. It's a miracle that I'm not grossly overweight. But you bite a lot. Well, like you're, you're very active physically. Also, it, it probably takes you more than the average number of calories to just like get up in the morning. To like exist? Yeah, so like, you know, I'm the opposite. I just lie there and waking up happens to me. Clothes get put on me. Yeah. But you have to like get it and then think about like, how does my CPR move this way? How do I get it back over my shoulders? And like, I'm sure it's second nature to you now, but it probably still takes, it would probably take less energy if you were able to. It definitely would. Yeah, there yeah. I mean, like when gravity seems to be more of an imposition than it should be. And the, right. and the the dip that is required of me to get into my shitty chair, I sometimes catch myself in the middle of it thinking that Jerry's going to have to pick me up off the fucking floor. But luckily that's never happened yet. So then I don't want to lead you, but what else happened when you week off? So in the middle of my vacation 
on on Thursday night, my friends like my friends usually come over toward the end of the week. Mm-hmm. And so we just had this like like basic hangout scheduled or whatever where we were gonna sit around and eat junk food and watch Curb Your Enthusiasm or whatever backlog of funny shit we have on our on uh <coughs> TiVo. So my my friend Franco's coming over, like the elevator friend, and everyone else is in tow, but he always arrives first because he's t- and so he comes comes over and he's like and he and I have this little mudroom in my garage. And so he comes in and he like pokes his head in. And he's like, hey, Jamie, man, what are you up to? I have a surprise for you. And so he like comes in the room and then behind him is our fucking producer, Michael Cumming. Shout out to Michael. And he's like, hey, Jamie. And, and then I literally had like, like shock for the rest of the evening because I was like, I, I, it was like two worlds kind of like colliding. Right. And I... I was like, "What? How, how the how, how the fuck did you get here? What happened?" And then we've had many conversations with Michael about how like he hates living in Ottawa and he wishes that he could move to somewhere more metropolitan, like Montreal or Toronto or New York, uh-huh. which I think are all places that he has lived before. But his his uh, employment prospects or whatever have like evolved or changed or whatever, so he's never been there. For a super long period of time, and so are you going to tell me that he wants to move to Thunder Bay after this? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the very fact that I saw him in my own house, oh yeah, in Thunder Bay, like because he's always joked about how he has no idea how I ever grew up in Thunder Bay and then willfully returned, and so just seeing him here, I like had to be honest, a slight like wave of concern. I was like, oh my God. What? what point in your life do you have to be at to think it's a good idea to travel to Thunder Bay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And mind you, his accommodations were like more than above average. Yeah, he would have never had to take to the stairs. <laughs> exactly. And he got to experience the full effect of Franco's uh, amazing charisma, <laughs> charisma, hospitality, and uh, hospitality. And just his house in general, his whole house is like, it's phenomenal. It's like a, it's like a nightclub where you live. (laughs) It really does feel like that. In any case, then I I was wondering, like, you know, when you have two uh, completely different friend circles that you've met in entirely different contexts and stages of your life. Yeah. And you figure like, you know, if I love one person and I love another person, they, they're, they're probably going to have lots in common. I have experienced in my life this phenomenon where two people that I hold dear like, are not actually compatible friends with one another. Yeah. And I do have to kind of learn that lesson like, like kind of over and over again, which is a little bit strange, I suppose. But um, I was kind of worried that that, that, that would happen for Michael. And, and and my friend, I wasn't sure if it, if everything would jive. And so for the first like few hours of realizing that he was in Thunder Bay, like all these like little concerns were going through my head. And then also, you know, overwhelming fucking gratitude that he would yeah. come to this part of the world uh, and stay with me. It, it feels like he consented to staying at the Overlook Hotel because he values uh, our friendship and our <laughs> like mutual creative endeavors yeah. and so you know what i mean no but i mean like michael can hang with anyone i know and i was and i was thankful to you know re-realize that 
throughout his stay this week. Yeah. And as far as I know, we had a great time. Like, you know, we didn't have a postmortem in private or whatever, but it seemed like he really did have a good time. I guess you'll find out if he ever comes back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Apparently, um, like Michael arrived at four and I wasn't really available until like nine 30. So, so Franco and Michael who I've never met before, like Franco picked him up from the airport and then they, they went and did like an actual bar crawl. Uh, and Franco brought him to three different locations in the span of four hours. <laughs> Apparently they met a number of colorful characters, including, you know, people that Franco that know Franco very well. So I, it feels like Michael got a snapshot of Thunder Bay nightlife uh within hours of arriving and then you know throughout the weekend as well maybe the thunder bay jokes will subside after he's been there and he'll be like oh now i get it i think i think they're going to come back with a vengeance you think he's gonna be like now i realize absolutely no reason you're still there i well no he's gonna have like supporting evidence for whatever (laughs) hilarious like thunder bay negs he's got cooking up that's true because it like the city of Thunder Bay is different from like my friend circle, obviously. Sure. But yeah. That's awesome. Franco has pretty much crushed it this year for surprises with you. I don't know what I will ever do to repay Franco. <laughs> yeah. You have to build a spiral staircase in your house. Yeah. Or I'd have to do something like so extraordinary and it would have to be so tailored to franco's particular like needs or whatever i don't even know what it would be yeah i don't know what it would be either what is the able-bodied equivalent to installing an elevator in your home yeah i was thinking like unless i could somehow secretly hire a bunch of contractors to finish his basement and put it on my tab i don't think i could ever repay him (laughs) we'll have to think about something we will, yeah. Yeah, that seems like a fun challenge, but also a great weekend for you. It was awesome. Yeah, like I, I did. Uh, I left my house more in the span of four days than I have in the past like year, and I also realized again that did I did. You I, go to to like a bar, or did you just go to Franco's house? No, we just had like uh, gatherings at Franco's and my place. Okay. Um, they did. They did go to a to a house party but i wasn't really interested and it was like after one or something so i was like nope i'm going home boys fair enough the funny thing is one of our other friends ended up coming to ottawa that same weekend yeah so you had he joked that it would have been funny if he had also just showed up on friday and surprised me the same way michael surprised you yeah and then you guys like (laughs) they could have like uh snapped it or something yeah the the two separate surprises concurrently (laughs) yeah so while you were hanging out with like michael i was hanging out with our other friends and michael's girlfriend was also at my place so it was (laughs) like a pretty fun split of the worlds yeah really bizarre cool weekend and now here we are at our 50th episode five zero that doesn't make any sense isn't that crazy the fact like we do what, like an average of 90 minutes per episode uh-huh. times 50. That's like 75 hours yeah. worth of content. I uh, Yeah. And people still listen, I think. Well, we're like exceeding the content output of some of the most prolific like uh, like Western movie directors. 
Now, not to say that content output is a very good measure of anything. Yeah, Because, yeah. like, reality TV shows have gone on for 100 years and some sitcoms have been on for 700 years. Yeah. So, like, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but I think what's cool is that we're still having fun and it feels like we're still, we still got a lot of gas left in the tank. Because, you know, when we started, we were like, is this a thing? Are we going to do this? Is it just a fun joke? And now we're 50 episodes deep. We've basically done this for a full year. Yeah. When when we started, we actually banked like a half dozen episodes that we thought would end up being content. And then we yeah. did like the, the format. So we scrapped it and started over again. But the fact that we stuck with it and then made 50, like it, that, that is, it, it does kind of cook my noodle. I don't know what that means. Is that a euphemism? Fry my brain, cook my noodle. Okay. I had some cooked noodles for dinner. Tony, are you avoiding talking about Zoolander? It was so spicy that I was like, this can't be good for me. Like just heating it up, the microwave started crying. (laughs) Crying? I hate microwaves so much. What? My dad, like my dad thinks that microwaves are a cooking tool. Like he'll... I've seen him like try to prepare a hot dog in the fucking microwave. Oh, yeah, that's kind of weird. Oh my god, it's like it's like he's drawing upon his I don't know, apparently he spent a period in the in the 50s, the early 50s like in a garage, living out of a garage with his parents and I feel like he picked up some survivalist habits in that kind of environment. I mean, you do that and you don't cook hot dogs in the microwave. Oh yeah, I do live in a garage with your parents. <laughs> <laughs> with my parents. <laughs> oh, fuck. History repeats itself. You're going to have kids and then they're going to live in your garage? No. <laughs> no, I vow. I vow if I ever have kids, they're never going to have a hot dog from the microwave. And like my my dad has one particular phrase. Like anytime something about his plate is wrong, he'll just be like, needs a couple more seconds in the beep. He calls it the beep because it beeps when it's done heating right. his shit. I just hate microwaves so much. If I could just throw it in a microwave, I would be so happy. Anyway, sorry. So when you microwaved your your Thai food, something happened? No, nothing happened. The microwave started crying because it was so spicy. Oh. But it made me think about how my dad cooks wieners. And he is... <laughs> <laughs> we all have that story, right? <laughs> your dad cooking wieners story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad, he doesn't cook at all. Like, my mom does 99% of the cooking. Uh-huh. But if my mom was, like, out or, you know, for some reason literally couldn't cook, then my dad would make craft dinner and hot dogs. And that was our dinner. And I, to this day, don't mind craft dinner and hot dogs. Like, it's fine. It kind of takes me back to simpler times. I'm into it. Can you do it well? Does it taste good? Because... The thing about my dad is that he doesn't know that he can't cook, but he cooks when my mom needs a break or, you know, he he does share the chores around the house. So he'll only cook that in that vein and he doesn't really love it or pay attention to what he's doing. No, my dad takes pride in his ability to make a mean toast and a mean hot dog wiener. <laughs> like, okay. Like, he'll be like, you know, you can't just, you're going a whole thing. Like, you know, you can't just boil a wiener. You got to fry a wiener. You got to put some oil down. Like he yeah. talks 
Like he's Gordon Ramsay yeah. explaining how to make a beef Wellington. Right, right. But he's just frying wieners. Well, see, that's the whole key to cooking is you have to love what you're doing. Exactly. And he clearly loves cooking wieners. And I got to be honest, my dad's got the best wieners. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, that's the one humble break you want to have about your dad. Yeah. My dad cooks better wieners than your dad. <laughs> he definitely does. I, I watched my dad overcook uh overcook crab dinner to the point where the noodles frayed and it was just un- inedible sludge. My favorite embarrassing dad cooking story is one time my mom prepared a lasagna and she was like, I'm going to be out of town. All you have to do is heat it up in the oven, put it in the oven 400 for 40 minutes or whatever, you know? Yeah. And so dinner time comes around. My dad puts the lasagna in turns the oven on and like 10 to 15 minutes later someone goes and looks in the oven the lasagna is covered in melted plastic oh god <laughs> because oh, my god. dad left the saran wrap on it why 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 do dads lose all common sense when they're in the kitchen i do <laughs> so not she was just like well your mother didn't tell me to take it out of the yeah yeah <laughs> Your mother didn't tell me to put my left foot after my right when I'm walking. <laughs> that was so funny. We ended up eating it. We just... No! Peeled, yeah. No! We, we just peeled the top layer off. Oh, my and God. And everything underneath. Oh, my God. <laughs> that makes me mad at your dad. <laughs> no, because, like, we all love my dad. So it was just like, no, no, it's fine. You just peel it off and eat it. Oh, oh, Tony. Yeah, well, nobody oh. ate the plastic. <laughs> How do you know you didn't eat the plastic? How do you know it didn't like... You probably had plastic particles in the cheese. Uh-huh. <laughs> Interesting. Coincidentally, that was the last day I was able to play guitar. <laughs> that better be a joke. It's definitely a joke. Okay, good. I don't have the timeline sorted out in my brain, but that would be hilarious. <laughs> the lasagna day was the day that I lost some critical ability with my disability. Do you want to talk about this movie? Yeah, I do. I, I, I'm really excited to talk about this movie. Yeah, me too. So we covered a really important disability movie mm-hmm. that, you know, probably doesn't get talked a lot about in terms of disability media, which is a, a big miss on, on the part of most people who talk about disability media. Yeah, like this movie came out when I was 13, around 2001, I was 12 or 13. Yeah. And and around that time, you know, I wasn't really a film snob yet or a cinephile. I didn't know who Daniel Day-Lewis was, nor did I care. When did you become a film snob? What was the inciting movie? There was an English teacher in high school. After I uh, read 1984, he told me to watch the John Hurt film. He told you to watch it or the class? No, he told me to watch it because I covered. So he I covered. saw your your like movie prodigy self. Yeah, and so he gave me this like list of movies. I saw he started obsessing about it, and I I held that English teacher in high regard. Did you watch that first movie and go and like like something clicked for you? Yeah, and I got then I got obsessed with the IMDb like top two fifty, and I started going to HMV and like buying the top 250 in bulk and just watching all of them. Yeah, I've done that as well, but I still don't have the thing you have where you're able to actually qualify what makes a movie good. 
I can watch a movie and just say, like, cool, I enjoyed it or whatever. I guess I'm just thinking more emotionally. But I, I don't know. I still, I, I'm still inspired. I know how much we love that word by your ability to really like dissect media. I, I mean, it's all horseshit. I don't know. Like, you make good points. You're very eloquent. I will say it's hard to argue with you because when <laughs> we're discussing media, like, I, I, I can't hit you with more facts. Right, 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 right. So it's just like, I didn't like it. And you're like, yeah, but it's good for all these reasons. And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't like it. <laughs> you're not hearing me, James. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so funny, actually. So this movie, though, we can definitely all agree is very much a disability movie. Yes. Yeah. It is a seminal disability movie for a cripple born in 1987. Right. I was about to say, I was about to say it was like my one like inspiration in middle school. I was like, at least, at least there's someone out there representing disability on film. Yeah. And so, and who also like me is really, 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 really good looking. Right. So that's what I liked about this movie is, you know, not a lot of movies cover our specific disability. Yeah. And we both have the same disability that this character has, uh, which is that he is really, really, really ridiculously good looking. And that's, people don't talk about that enough. It's definitely a burden, you know? Right. Yeah. Because people, people like think you, you have insubstantial thoughts, like you're, you're flighty. I go down the street and people are just staring at me. Yeah. And I know that it's because I'm really, really, <laughs> really ridiculously good looking. But I just can't help the fact that I'm really, really, <laughs> really ridiculously good looking. <laughs> and that's and, just a cross I have to bear. Right, right. And can you can we uh, succinctly capture with a single quote, you know, why, why Zoolander is in fact... A disability movie? I'm not an ambi-turner. It's a problem I had since I was a baby. I can't turn left. Derek, that's nothing to be ashamed of. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who can't turn... I mean, there have got to be some people out there just like you who can't turn... turn... left... See, I was thinking about this, and uh, like I can turn left. That's very ableist of you, but continue. <laughs> I know I don't mean to be insensitive to you, Ben Stiller, but um, I I just want to say Ben Stiller in this movie really helped me come to terms with the fact that my neck is not an Andy Turner. Right. Oh, that's true. Right. Because now I'll, I'll be honest. When I first saw this movie. I was an Abby Turner. Okay, okay. My neck was an Abby Turner. Uh-huh. And since then, I have lost the ability to turn left. And that was hard for me to swallow. But Ben Stiller in this movie really helped me to fully appreciate that that's okay. Because not everyone can turn their head to the left. And it's fine. It doesn't mean that you won't be a successful male model or... Really, really, really ridiculously good looking. People are going to turn this episode off. <laughs> but that's okay because... This one's for us. 
Yeah, fuck, fuck <laughs> you. You've heard 49 other episodes <laughs> yeah. where we're trying to educate you or give you some insight into our life. This one is just for us. It's our 50th episode. By the way, this is our last episode of this year. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a couple of weeks off. And so this one is just for us. And if you don't like that, maybe it's because you're not really, really, really ridiculously good looking. <laughs> oh, man. I was going to say, like, an- another, I'm going to reiterate my humble brag, like, I can turn left. But I, I don't know where left is. That's my disability. <laughs> and the thing is, like... How do you know you've ever turned left? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, you and I... Do people just tell you that you've turned left? And you believe them? Or No, they'll just say other left if I fucked up. Right. But the thing is, like, uh, you and I, we play Rocket League together. Okay? And that's a game in which you, you start off... Uh, t- two teams of two against each other and it's a it's a soccer ball in the middle of the field and you're a car and so <laughs> you 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 start it sounds hilarious listening to a grown man describe <laughs> this game so you're playing soccer in a car <laughs> and you have to score the ball into the net and you got to go right right so but in in the face offs to these games like sometimes your your cars will be positioned uh, randomly by the game and so you won't have visibility on your partner or your teammate and so they have to ping you and tell you to go or like so Anthony and I have a rule that whoever is on the left goes first and the f- most hilarious thing ever is that he has to tell me <laughs> to go <laughs> in spite of in spite of that rule like like and and this is also a game in which I have clogged over a thousand hours and you're very good at it yeah, not to bolster my my uh, my Tinder profile, but you're very good at playing rocket car soccer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank thank you, Anthony. I'm also really 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 <laughs> ridiculously good looking. Uh, but <laughs> so yeah, so I don't know where left is. So you know when Zoolander says he's not an Ambi Turner, and and it's also like. The the fundamental uh, basis for his arc in this film is learning, you know, how to turn left. I fucking totally understand. And and when the movie finally gets to the point where he does turn left, you know, to stop uh, the nefarious fashion mogul uh, Jacobi Mugatu from throwing a ninja star at the Malaysian prime minister. And that is not word salad. Uh, like, I rejoiced. I, I I thought I thought that this movie was more substantive than like you know a bio uh, an Irish alcoholic who uh, draws things with his left foot. I certainly thought that was the case. That moment when he finally is able to turn left uh-huh. really really got me. Oh man, I started crying. My I felt like one day maybe I can turn left. Maybe with my head. Maybe, yeah, with with intensive physio and more popsicle sticks. And a, a few more walk-offs. Yeah, we should have a walk-off one day on a runway. And you? In high school, we did dance-offs and walk-offs. And I think I won a lot because people were just like, that's hilarious that you're... Because I, I just give her, right? Like, I'll, like, people know, obviously, that 
I'm only going to do like the three same moves, but my enthusiasm is off the charts. So uh-huh. I think that juxtaposition was funny. I'm hoping it's that. And they weren't just like whispering to each other, give it to the disabled guy. But I did win a number of those work. <laughs> my grade eight teacher, um, and I've said this on the podcast before, but I'm still traumatized by it. My grade eight teacher um, was also the music teacher at my middle school in the early 2000s, coincidentally, when this movie came out. Yeah. And she she paired me with a guy who was like vision impaired. And he was a great guy. And, you know, we both had like individual education plans. So we had a lot of FaceTime with one another just because we both used student support people and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, like we weren't really the type to like want to work with each other on group projects. And it just felt so strange that she wanted to compound our disabilities toward like a dance routine. And I, I was really mad at her, uh, for like from that choice. And he was too. So I don't know if we were both just being like ableist together, (laughs) but (laughs) it was definitely like not fun for me. Well, I guess that means that my, my grade eight self would have declined an invitation to be part of the cast of best summer ever. And therefore I'm a huge jerk. <laughs> I don't think the world would have been ready for Best Summer Ever then. Oh, definitely not. I was in, I was a background actor in a Disney movie back then. And there was a conversation about whether or not they would want me in it. Right. Because at the time it was like, uh, is the world ready for this man? <laughs> Who's not an ambiturner? Right. Yeah. Do we want to feature people who can't or don't know where left is right which a lot of people do have left privilege i would say yeah you know you're one of them yeah as someone who can turn left i guess it's surprising that my politics are on the left given that i don't know where it is yeah but again maybe they're not and you just think they are oh because you don't know where your politics are and maybe maybe i'm just totally like, lost yeah um that's not the only disability in this movie though so the the secondary sort of bad guy in this movie has a disability as well right okay can we can we take a moment to flesh out this guy explain to the audience who he is mugatu mugatu i think i think it's will ferrell's best role i honestly it's i so think he's, funny. he's so fucking funny in this role <laughs> he's outrageous it's it, i love this movie really speaks to my sensibility with humor in that it's just just have a good time don't overthink it just be absurd and like let loose for an hour and a half with your friends put it out to the world and if they see that you're just having a good time they'll probably appreciate it i think there's a little bit more to it than that actually there is some social commentary in this movie there is 100 percent it's definitely an indictment of a particular branch of celebrity culture. Yes. And and it's it like it, like Zoolander's uh, characterization and his over-the-topness and all his little affectations and stuff. And Mugatu. And Mugatu, yeah. I would say he's like, like it's a pretty inventive comedy. And like, yeah. Well, also, it, I think the fact that they're so willing to take it right to the extreme in terms of goofiness is why yeah. it's also a good social commentary because right, yeah. they are they're not walking the line because it's like you can make fun of 
model like male models and there's no repercussion there yeah that i mean it's that's definitely like low-hanging testicles like that you know making fun of the male model work well they're probably tight and compact because especially if they're male underwear models Uh oh right yeah but the fact that they're so willing to just go there and attack but like not maliciously like it's super ingest and goofy yeah which i think is what makes it a good commentary yeah it's but also it's like a, it's a great companion piece to tropic thunder i i guess what i'm saying is that i really like when ben stiller writes his own comedies i don't particularly yeah. like his his body of work outside of that like all his various rom-coms where he plays a like a harmlessly angry uh stressed out middle-aged man who runs a lot like i don't really care about him being a romantic lead, but I do like Tropic Thunder and also this this movie. Now we should definitely say that parts of this movie don't age well. No, they definitely don't. Like, we we definitely appreciate it, and that was really apparent when we rewatched it yesterday. <laughs> uh, we were still laughing for the majority of the movie. Yeah, but there were parts where both of us cringed. What part for you where you cringed like stood out the most when they put on their disguises yeah. as janitors and then yeah. they just swapped in two completely different people. It's a funny joke, but I think it, the fact that they switched races altogether. Let's set this up a bit. So it's like, it's a scene where Derek and his, his rival male model Hansel played brilliantly by Owen Wilson. So hot right now. Yeah. Hansel is the hottest. Hansel. So hot right now. Hansel. I I repeat that phrase all the time. Me too. <laughs> I like I love it. I also repeat the phrase, it's in the computer. <laughs> I get work when I'm like lost and trying to like find some document that someone shared in <laughs> yeah. Google Drive yeah. and I can't find it. And say, like, oh, it's in the computer. <laughs> yeah, it, there are some uh classic lines here that I, I love. There's some quotable quotes for sure. For sure. Yeah. Even I would say like the establishing Hansel is a clueless, uh, like, like a uh, Zen bro douchebag and, and in opposition to Derek at the start of the film and their whole like thing about becoming friends. It is oddly satisfying. Yeah. It's a strange little payoff that I really enjoyed. And I guess this is like sort of at the cusp of, all these comedies in the early aughts where grown men like support one another and befriend each other. Uh, but I mean, it was pretty cool. The other thing that I just want to say before we talk about this, like blatantly racist moment that d- didn't age well, what I do like is there's all kinds of celebrity cameos, like a shocking amount. David Bowie is definitely my favorite one. Yeah. David Bowie, uh, Winona Ryder shows up. Um, Natalie Portman, uh, Billy Zane. Yeah, I think I think Sting is in there uh, briefly. It had a very campy feel. Yeah, like so. Here's the thing: per- Paris Hilton was in there, and then of course Donald Trump. And there's <clears throat> there's this like sense that you know the people who do show up, they maybe are not quite in on the joke because they have these little cameos not full characters or whatever. So they, there's a good chance that they just don't know that 
Stiller's actually making fun of the people who participate right. in the fashion industry. And so there's a little kind of meta something going on that sort of legitimizes it, strangely enough. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Like seeing Donald Trump in the audience as himself, probably clueless to what the movie is, but yeah. just looking for some airtime. Yeah, and they give him like, you know, very short lines of like five or six words. So he's like, absolutely, I can do that. Not a problem. Yeah. It it does also harken back to a time when Trump was thought of as basically a, a joke, like a harmless joke. Yeah. And that is kind it's kind of fascinating to see that. And also to see that this is like pre nine eleven. Yes, it is. I think it was pre nine eleven. It was at least filmed before the towers fell. Um, but yeah, so it's a strange little time capsule. But anyway, so this scene though. Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson have to break into an office building to steal some evidence that Jacobim Mugatu is trying to like overturn child labor laws by harming the various political figures. In order to sneak into the office, uh, there's a joke that Zoolander is really good with like makeup and style because you know he's the greatest male model in the world or whatever, and he used yeah. to do he used to do his own makeup when he was just starting out. So he actually uses like a, like a basic makeup kit to make uh, Hansel and Zoolander look like an Indian man and a black man, respectively. And so they just swap actors like they don't actually put them in black or brown face, but it's still like it's still implied. Well, then at the end of the scene, yeah, they are in partial black and brown face. Yeah, because they've removed like the their faces, but it's still like yeah, around the ears yeah. and on the neck and stuff. And so it's like, I think that was the worst part for me. It might've aged less poorly if they didn't, if it was just like a clear cut transition in both directions. Uh huh. There's also a scene where um, Ben Stiller's agent played by his father, Jerry Stiller, who is very funny as well. And like, yeah. like slots into the role just perfectly, uh, totally on board with the premise and, I don't know. There's such a weird confidence in this film that where even though the jokes maybe don't hit as hard as something like Wedding Crashers or The 40-Year-Old Virgin, like the tone is so consistent and it, it's so, it's good. You know what I mean? And Anyway, all that to introduce the part, another part that was problematic. There is a scene where um, Ben Stiller's agent is trying to encourage him to do a campaign with Mugatu and while he's like trying to build him up, he grabs the ass of one of his secretaries and it's all taken in stride or, you know, like used to show that he's a piece of shit and it's kind of a punchline. Mind you, because Jerry Stiller's character is cooperating with the movie's villain, then his behavior, his bad behavior could be seen as, a product of his villainy. Therefore, the movie knows that it's wrong that he grabs this woman's ass. Oh, I think for sure, yeah. Yeah, therefore, it's maybe not as bad, but it's still kind of... I think that they, they don't address it with any care, so it's a little yeah. brash. Yeah, like it's not like Zoolander sees it and then thinks like, like, Maury, you shouldn't have done that. yeah. It's just like it happens. It's a weird like moment that 
didn't necessarily have to make the final cut doesn't mm-hmm. add a lot but it also it's definitely a, a moment that might be included in a remake of this movie but it would be heavily refactored yeah to, exactly. to show maury as like you know a product of you know weinstein culture and like so unaware that what he's doing is even bad exactly yeah it's just totally something he's entitled to because of his position of power well, we didn't quite get to it, but we should mention that Mugatu does have a disability. Oh, yeah, he does have a disability, yeah. Right. And, you know, we know people with IBS yep. and, and how much it, it is a problem for them. And so I bet you those people, shout out to Andrew for listening. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to hate you for that. <laughs> but can relate for sure to... You told me what you were willing to do. <laughs> I... <laughs> Are you not aware that I get farty and bloated with a foamy latte? <laughs> My mistake, Jacobin. Your mistake indeed. <laughs> now, right after this scene, right after that line, there's this hilarious so sequence of glances between Mugatu and his assistant. And we watch it like three or four times. Oh, man, it's so funny. This is like, to me, like the epitome of this scene because this leads into the what is this a center for ants this moment is such a classic for me it's such a highlight in in like the film zeitgeist in my mind of of just like it, it just speaks to me in terms of my childish humor where it's like super inoffensive because i don't even know how to describe it they're just looking at each other like i'm mad at you but I also, am I attracted to you? And like, there's just this bizarre sequence of glances that you can tell they're just having a good time again. There's the, uh, so like before Will Ferrell um, spews out his uh, foam latte all over his like servant or whatever, he also very deliberately leans in and pours the oh, drink yeah. all over him. So it's this moment of physical comedy as well. And the bizarre like sexual tension that occurs between between them afterwards. It like it's something that obviously happens a lot uh, between them. Like whenever whenever Farrell's whenever Farrell's character gets mad, Mm -hmm. like they they always have this weird tit for tat. And it's just so funny to me that it's this little throwaway joke that ends up being the probably the fucking best part of the movie. Yeah, it's the only part we watched this many times. The one thing I the the one thing that I will say about uh, Zoolander, if you permit me to get a little bit fucking pretentious for a moment, I'll allow it. I I kind of like the movie's portrait of manhood because <clears throat> Derek is from like a coal miner's town, and his father obviously doesn't approve of him being a male model. And there's a moment when he gets defeated in some kind of award ceremony. He loses to Hansel because Hansel is so hot right now. He loses to him. Hansel, so hot right now. Hansel. So hot. So um, he kind of has this uh, midlife crisis, Zoolander does, and goes back to his hometown and like tries to be a minor. And his father just like doesn't approve. Like they think he's an embarrassment and an abomination or whatever. So there's this 
sort of through line of homophobia uh, toward Zoolander for having like an effeminate job. But nonetheless, like Zoolander is the hero of the movie, even though he is kind of dumb and like extremely vain and whatever. Like but he he's is, a merman. He's a merman, Pop. And uh, I kind of love that like the movie doesn't necessarily agree with Zoolander's father that his job is illegitimate. Yeah, and that actually comes full circle at the end. Yeah. When Zoolander is finally able to turn left, which again, such a heartwarming moment. I know. In the movie. But also subsequently is able to stop all attacks on the Malaysian prime minister. Yeah. Zoolander's father is like, that's my boy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, there's a reconciliation there. But but other things too, like the the friendship that eventually blossoms between Owen Wilson and Zoolander, like they 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 have these little honest exchanges about their feelings. And you kind of think that in a traditional like stoner bro comedy, like these weird confessional tender moments would be few and far between. There's also the the freak gasoline fight accident that occurs between Zoolander and his fellow male models, like which is a very relatable moment for disability, right? Yeah, right. Because like we all could see ourselves in a free gasoline fight accident. Yeah, or some sort of strange uh, power chair pileup. Yeah, don't you think that maybe part of the reason you don't drive? <laughs> it's totally the reason. Imagine if you and I had to go fill up our our uh, disability Teslas. Yeah, we would be so tempted to have a freak gasoline fight accident. It would be so easy. I know to and just then accidentally have a freak gasoline fight accident, and then like you know, va- uh, light up a cigarette or right. have a particularly pungent fart or something. Right, <laughs> yeah. that's definitely how fires get started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What happened to the house? Was it arson? No, we had beans for dinner. It came out of the arson. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Sorry, that's so stupid. (laughs) But the whole the whole thing, like this movie, isn't really. I guess it's not homophobic, or I I don't think it is. There are some characters that probably are, but the movie isn't. But they are shown. They are shown to be wrong. Exactly. They are shown. They're shown to have misjudged the situation. One thing that I will say that is a little bit sketchy, and I kind of realize it now. When I was a kid. I remember thinking that something was off about Mugatu, like obviously before the scene where he uh, brainwashes Zoolander, that whole scene with the latte occurs before any of his like overt villainy is shown, I think. And like the only moments of same sexual tension occur between the villain and, and another side character. So in that sense, maybe you could see it as homophobic or whatever like you think like mugatu like has his little moment with his secretary and then uh mila jehovah go the opposite way does not say that they're almost it, the movie's almost open to the fact that someone in that position might be homosexual well it, it's saying that if you have a movie in which only the gay characters are villains then like you kind of equate like alternative lifestyle with villainy. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah, but then there is that sex scene where there's like all sorts of people thrown around. 
they're slinging dick all over the place. <laughs> Hansel has an orgy in uh, in his loft or whatever, and it's just like come come one, come all. Like <laughs> orgies, so hot right now. So hot right now. I think they even like they invite the custodial staff, and that's one of the jokes. Yeah. But then that that scene with Mila Jehu, Jehovah's Witness, Mila Mila Jehovahuha. You said it right. <laughs> I did. Yeah. She's like Mugatu's uh, cl- uh, henchwoman. Did you almost say clench woman? I did. <laughs> I don't. Someone with CP who never lets go. That'd be a great Avenger. Clench woman? Yeah, you just like put something in their hand and they can't let go. I think I had a weird. I was thinking about that woman in um, uh, GoldenEye whose whole thing is that she squeezes men's faces between their thighs and breaks their neck. That's hot. I, I know, right? So hot right now. So hot right now. But yeah, the the only other moment of uh, sexual tension in the movie is when Mila Jovovich has a cat fight with Zoolander's girlfriend, oh, and like she gets her ass kicked, and then there's a, a brief second where she kind of looks at uh, Zoolander's girlfriend like with the kind of like I'm I'm gonna eat you, and that's it. So you maybe could argue that there's a little bit of homophobia there maybe yeah, or maybe. not is it's just a running joke and it happens to be very funny well let's get back to the disability for a second because there is another moment that i want to bring up that is very relatable to disability something yeah. that i've dealt with a number of times uh-huh i want to play the clip first and then we can discuss i just thought the way that you handled losing that award to hansel and then you sort of laid low for a while and then made your comeback courageous look i gotta go pee but i'd really like to continue talking about this conversation when i come back the number of times i'm like on a date and i just want to be like look i'm having a good time it's not about you i just have to go pee yeah and then we pick this back up yeah like life stops when you have to pee when you're a wheelie <laughs> especially when you before you have to pee and you start thinking oh boy I have to pee. How much of a runway do I have? Before, like, am I going to make it to the end of the night before they leave, or like, do I have to, you know, make up some reason to go home? Do I just tell them straight up? Do we have enough left in the date that I can easily pee and then we just continue, or is it like if I stay, I have to pee? Is that going to incite them being like, actually, you know what? I'm pretty tired. I should go. Like you actually, my main question would be, is my bladder so full that I can't make jokes or be charismatic or flirt? Is it like uh, just because you're distracted? Yeah. Like I'm so distracted that I'm totally taken out of the situation. Yeah, exactly. And I do the same thing because I'm like, okay, if I call now, there's someone here that could help me. Should I just wait? realistically, I haven't drank that much, so I probably don't have to pee for another couple of hours, like urgently. Um, but at the same time, I also want to be myself right now. So if I really have to pee, they should be, they hopefully will be okay <laughs> with me just calling to pee. Like, there's a whole loop that's going on in the background. It's a fucking crisis, man. It's yeah. like, it gets to the point where when you watch a motherfucker just like with working legs, like get just up, get up, pee, and then come back. Yeah, and they sometimes, oh sometimes they're even even doing other things while they're going and peeing. Oh yeah, they're having a conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're, the conversation doesn't even stop. 
for me, it's like, hey, sorry, <laughs> I'm going to have to pee, which means I, if I'm not home, I have to leave. Uh-huh. Or if I'm home, then I have to like... Call people. I don't know. Do you want... I have to call? Yeah. Do you want to like hide in the other room? Do you yeah. want to not be seen? I don't know what the etiquette here is. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was like normalized for like fire departments to handle uh, moments when disabled people have full bladders and they have no other recourse? I don't know if I want a fireman helping me pee every time. I'm just saying that sometimes when I have to pee, like I want to pull the fire alarm. Like I want to stop. <laughs> I want I want to stop life. Yeah. And, and like I want to also empty out fucking the public bathrooms because I have a shy bladder. Like just I... I become the most selfish motherfucker in the world when I have to pee. Yeah, no, I get that. Like sometimes I'll be out with friends and then they'll be like, hey, do you want to go to this other bar? And in my head, I'm like, I do. But I'd rather just be like, pop home to pee and then come out. Yeah. But we're already downtown. So I can't be like, I'm going to go all the way home, pee, then go all the way back. It can honestly feel like you're being held hostage by your bladder. It's honestly insane how much freedom I have when I'm with someone who is completely comfortable helping me pee wherever we are. Yeah, you're like, the world is my fucking oyster, baby. Yeah, I can go anywhere. And like, then I often don't have to pee because I'm not thinking about what's going to happen if I have to pee. One of my concerns about return to work is that they're going to put me in a building that no longer has the glorious wheelchair accessible bathroom that I'm accustomed to using. That's ridiculous. Yeah, they're relocating us to a different building. And so I'm concerned that I'm just going to have to use like a public wheelchair accessible bathroom stall. You're just going to get like a house plant in your cubicle and just unzip and water the plant. Honestly, like that's enough for me to be like, you know, polishing up my resume. (laughs) (laughs) Your exit interview is like, what didn't you like about it? The bathroom. Yeah, yeah. You know how Tesla owners have range anxiety tesla owners oh they're not sure if they can make it to the place they gotta go yeah to like the next charging station yeah yeah that's how i feel about peeing it's like yeah. i have your your range yeah no i used to have like i charted places along like the main streets in downtown ottawa where i could go pee in an emergency yeah and then you know how far you are from them or how close you are to the next one yeah and then you're like you've got your blood or on a timer like, if I drink this now, I'll have to be this bad in this much time. Yeah, I remember one time I went, like, out to a work function with a bunch of consultants who are all, like, type A, crunch, like, work 60 hours a week, uh, like, when you're feeling lazy. And um, I remember one time going out to drink with them, and just like they worked impossibly hard, they also drank impossibly hard, and I had to walk home from the, from uh, the market in downtown Ottawa. My place was only a few blocks, but they, they had frequented several venues that didn't have accessible bathrooms. And I remember basically having to cut myself off from the group and drive home alone because I knew I was going to pee myself on the way home. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was probably one of the most embarrassing, embarrassing bladder moments of my life. And so, yeah, peeing is important. And in Zoolander... I fucking love this scene because the the courage. I'm not even joking. No, I'm not kidding either. (laughs) There's something so refreshing about being like, I wish that I had the balls and the self-confidence to just be like, 
I'm loving this conversation. I have to pee. Yeah. And I can just come back to I've never been able to do that. I aspire to being able to do that. Yeah. And this movie inspires me. Yeah, like grown men don't usually ever speak that frankly. They're like they're like, Yeah, I gotta go drain the one eyed snake, bruh. <laughs> like if they're if they're gonna like they figure out some way to make it manly, like I gotta whip out Thor's hammer and uh fucking uh Dry it out. I was just waiting to see where you were going to go. <laughs> I had nowhere to go. And I'm still happy that that's the direction you took it. <laughs> I'm just going to whip out Thor's hammer and uh, dry it out. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, I just got to go whip up some of that room temperature lemonade. Just give me a second. <laughs> oh my God. This is disgusting. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> just like Zoolander at this point in the film is, is like a sex symbol. Yeah. And he's, he's speaking to Winona Ryder who is also like, you know, a hot sex symbol. Yeah. And he says to her, like, I'm really enjoying this conversation and I want to continue it, but I have to pee. <laughs> and then he gets up and he goes and fucking pees. Yeah. Like, that is badass, man. So inspirational. So inspirational, man. You're like, you know, fuck my left foot. Like, you know, this movie should be called My Left Turn. <laughs> Did you have that locked and loaded? No. <laughs> That's so dumb. I love that so much. <laughs> my left turn. <laughs> we should, like, re-edit this movie, like, cut it. As like a solemn documentary. Yeah, yeah, we should. <laughs> the moment he was able to finally turn left. Uh-huh. <laughs> I also love the idea that he has all these like sexy modeling faces that he makes. And like he doesn't like they're all the fucking same. And I love the, I just love that joke. Like who cares about Derek Zoolander anyway? The man has only one look for Christ's sake. <laughs> Blue steel? Ferrari, La Tigra, they're the same face! Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! I feel like I'm taking crazy pills is also high in my rotation. Right. But I just love Jacoby Mugatu is the ultimate asshole for pointing out that, that like... Everyone looks at him like, what are you doing? Yeah, you monster. How could yeah. you say they're all the same? It'd be like if, if someone said, can't you see? He can't even work. <laughs> He's not even able to stand up. Right. Leave him alone. He's fucking Derek Zoolander. Yeah. He had to pee. He had to pee. But then there's the moment where he finally, like, the one of the one of the payoff moments that the movie is building up to is this new look that Derek is going to give. I think everyone's fucking familiar with the premise of Zoolander. I don't know. I just met someone like a few weeks ago who had that. And obviously you didn't have a follow-up date with them. <laughs> I, I just said I have to pee and they left. <laughs> they left. But uh, so he unveils this new look and everyone thinks it's like gorgeous and like amazing. It's like looking upon an angel of God. It literally stops as a ninja star in its tracks. Yeah. The thing is, the the moment is ridiculous, but it also kind of works. It really works. Because it's 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 good enough in canon that it seems somehow feasible. Right. 
Yeah, like it, it all. There's a consistency about it. And if a model was going to have a superpower, it would be a look that could stop a flying object dead in its tracks. Right. Yeah. That it would. It would. Uh, what's the phrase? Like when you steal, look or you. Yeah. Can't talk. I don't know. I don't know where you're going with that. Just the the idea that someone being so beautiful that you stop them dead in their tracks. I forget what the phrase is for it, but drop dead. Drop dead gorgeous. Yeah, I guess so. Could it also be really, really, really <laughs> ridiculously good looking? You're so proud of yourself every time you play that clip. <laughs> but yeah, like I don't know. On paper, all of these characters seem like they would be totally intolerable like they couldn't elicit a laugh and yet there's something so good about this movie yeah is it nostalgia like if it came out today i don't think i would care about it the same way you you really think that i don't i i think so because i think for me it just holds a special place in my heart where i kind of understood what i liked about movies in this vein like i it, it really resonated with me i actually remember the first time I watched this movie was right after my back surgery. I got a DVD player while I was recovering. I got this movie, Team America World Police, like a few Anchorman, just some good, like solid movies that are still really high up for me. And I think it's partially, like again, all of those movies really speak to my childish sense of humor. But it also holds a special place in my heart for just the time when I saw it, when that's exactly what I needed was just a dumb laugh when I was going through like significant physical and mental pain. When I had my surgery, I remember watching The Sixth Sense. <laughs> Jeez. I know. I know. Yeah, I was in a different wavelength. Also, also The Philosopher's Stone because it just came out that year. Yeah, well, yeah. So it was different times for us. Yeah, we have different. We occupy different headspaces. Well, also like different timelines. True. Because when you had your surgery, it was like a few years before I had mine. Yes, it was two thousand and one. Right, mine was oh eight. I thought. Yeah, oh seven or eight somewhere in there. Yeah. I was just gonna say, other than those two, those two or three jokes that don't really hold up. I do think that there is a timeless quality to this movie. Comedies nowadays tend to be hyper ironic and incredibly dry. There's this like vein of post humor humor where we have to like constantly ask ourselves why something is funny and not just let it be funny. When you say that, I think of like the new Sherlock with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And it's so bad. Yeah, it, that is a very, that was critically panned over and over again. I tried to give it a try because I was like, I like Will Ferrell. You know, I, I like John C. Riley. I'm not really sure how they work together, but it was, it felt like it was sort of what you're saying, where it was trying so hard to not think in its humor that it just fell flat for me. I was thinking more of um, stuff like, I think you should leave. That comedy show on Netflix where the episodes are only 15 minutes. I haven't seen that. I, I probably won't get into it too much. But in any case, like the era of movies like Austin Powers or Zoolander, yeah. where, where you have these high concept 
plots with highly elastic cartoonish characters where the comedy itself, the world of the comedy has to abide by its own consistent logic. And it's all about, it's all about silliness. There's a, there's a through line of immaturity, but kind of like fun. Like humor is like, has become sort of unfun. I feel like. Right. I think we talked about this a bit in the last episode where sometimes it's just nice to just goof around for the sake of goofing around Mm -hmm. where you're not trying to like have some heady joke that makes you think about something. It's just like movies like this really break the fourth wall for me, but in a good way where I can just see how much fun they're having on set. Movies like this usually make me want to go and watch the blooper reel for them after. Yeah. Because you can just tell that they're, they're basically just doing takes to try to make each other laugh. Yeah. And that's all they really care about. Yeah. They don't really care about like pushing a narrative or like some joke that the audience wants. They're just trying to have a good time and there happens to be a camera recording. Like obviously um, when you watch these movies that are 20 some years old, you're going to find some instances where uh, the movie is punching down to, or, you know, I'm thinking Adam Sandler comedies that generally. Oh, like team America. That age is pretty bad in a lot of ways. Does it? Yeah. Oh, I thought Matt Stone and Tree Parker are generally quite uh, immune to. I don't know. There's some. There's some pretty dicey jokes in there. Um, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that I think you could still make a movie like Zoolander today. You would just have to be careful to illustrate when the characters are behaving badly and get like, give them moments of, of redemption or kind of show how, you know, better to deal with dicier subject matter. Like, right. But then it wouldn't necessarily, like, I agree with what you're saying, but that's a little different than what Zoolander was. So just if Zoolander came out today as is, I don't think it would work the same way. Definitely not. Definitely not. Right. I don't have like a modern example really to draw from. When did the second Zoolander come out? I, I guess the second Zoolander would be a modern example, but it was deeply unfunny. The twenty six it came out in twenty sixteen. I don't know if I ever watched I tried to. I watched the second Anchorman. Yeah. And there are some parts that I liked, but like again, it was just Anchorman was one of my favorite movies as a kid. And so I wasn't really able to give it the same space. I get the impression that the second Zoolander was a Xerox of the first film. And then there were some dated problematic jokes. Benedict Cumberbatch uh, plays a character that is like entirely wrongheaded. So you already dislike it from that? Well, no, not that I dislike it. It's just that I don't really want to, I don't really want to go back and look at it because it's probably just going to disappoint me. Well, you don't like Eggs Benedict. Oh, right. That's true. I don't like Cucumber Benedicthead. Right. But yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Overall, definitely a disability movie. Very relatable. Great movie to cover for the 50th episode. I think so, too. Imagine if we like released a top five and the, like Zoolander was... Just put it in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think our fans would know what's up. I hope so. I hope so, too. Do you want to do a wheel breaker? Okay. I don't have one in mind, but I'll think of one on the fly. 
Wheel Breakers. So, Jamie. Uh-huh. In case you don't remember the premise, Wheel Breakers is a game that we like <laughs> to play where I have the ability to make you fully able-bodied. Nice. But there's a catch. Oh, no. Unfortunately, my powers are about as good as my hands, so I have 0.7 ability to help you. I am going to make you fully able-bodied. Uh-huh. But from now on, all of your facial reactions are identical. <laughs> now, I know nobody's going to be able to see what I do, but this is your facial reaction. <laughs> oh, no. I look like a creepy uncle that just snorted cocaine when you make that face. Can you try? <laughs> 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 what did you just do? I don't know. <laughs> it looks like you're pushing a sour starburst out of your asshole. <laughs> that wouldn't be too hard. Starbursts are soft. So that's your reaction. Happy, sad, flirtatious. No deal. Just immediately you're done? Because no, people constantly just think that that you're gassy and bloated. What if it was that you just couldn't? You couldn't facially express yourself. It was you were just stone face every time. Like RBF, but like not you don't even look angry, you just look neutral. So Ryan Gosling's made an entire career out of his neutral face. So I think I could pull that off. Well, yeah, but let's I mean, you're hot, but Ryan Gosling is I don't want to face shame you. <laughs> but No, if I it was just a neutral face, it'd be fine. But if I was making the face that you just made at me. No, thanks. Wait, don't, don't you think people just think you hate them all the time? Uh, if I was like, no, no, because the neutral face has the effect of just um, ref- deflecting the emotion that precluded the face. Okay. So if I'm like watching something happy and then they cut to a neutral face, it looks like yeah. I'm neutral happy. Okay. So then I guess it's only reasonable for me to ask the next one. What if... I could make you fully able-bodied, uh-huh. and you look the exact same, uh-huh. except you are no longer really, really, really ridiculously good-looking. So you're saying, I'm able-bodied, but I'm ugly? What if I look like Gianni Versace's sister? I don't know what who that looks like. I forget her name, but she's... she's... Okay, wait, let me look her up real quick. And I, and I don't feel guilty saying that she's ugly because she did it to herself. <laughs> Let me look her up. Jenny Versace's sister? Yeah. Donatella Versace. She looks like a monster in an H.R. Giger movie. Jenny Versace. Oh. Yeah, right. Right? She'd make the elephant man feel handsome. Oh, boy. I know. I know. I I don't want this to come off as a condescending, but that just makes me sad. Doesn't it? I know. She she looks like she visited Chernobyl without a hazard suit. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I know. It's just like sad that... It's sad that she felt the need to do that to herself. Yeah, our beauty standards are so fucking rude Yeah, to women that they have this idea in the head of what they're supposed to look like. Yeah. We praise women when they look a certain way and then it inevitably causes shame and self-consciousness. It's a vicious cycle. Like... To, to be at the helm of the definition of beauty, like as a fashion mogul, and then to feel the need to mutilate yourself to like yeah. be emblematic of that beauty. It's like, 
it's this weird, it's a weird sort of sad poetry. And I don't want to, like, I don't want to seem like I'm talking out of turn either, because I think I relate as a disabled person. Like, I get self-conscious about, you know, what beauty standards are told to be and whether or not I can be considered attractive despite or in spite of rather than just full stop, you know? Yeah. Yep. So like, I, I, I think I get it at least to a, a degree. I do think it's definitely worse for women than it is for men. Yeah. Like a, a thousand percent. But I, I want to at least try to relate. Like I, I a hundred percent get caught up sometimes in my insecurity as a disabled person thinking that like, Oh, you know, this date is going really well, but imagine if I was able-bodied or like, what if they find someone as cool who is able-bodied? Like, I go through those types of things quite a bit. Or like, even just, oh, this shirt doesn't fit me well because my body doesn't look like the guy that was wearing it in the picture. Yeah, I, that's the type of thing I'm thinking of. I have that constantly where it's like, oh, this this shirt makes my asymmetry that much more obvious. Yeah. Or like these pants um, hug on my leg that make in a way that makes them look more atrophied. Actually, one, one note from I Am Sam that I forgot to bring up, but I was discussing it off the podcast. I do think that we left a lot on the table for that episode. Yeah. I was thinking about it a lot more too. That movie uh, has... What's his name? Sean Penn wearing a kind of disabled costume. Did you notice that? Like, he, Yeah, yeah. Like the pants that don't quite fit and the shirt that... Yeah, yeah. And then the scene where he puts a suit on and she's yeah. like, oh, look at you. Yeah. You're like a real person. I hated that shit. There's a scene where, where Michelle Pfeiffer gives... Sean Penn a suit to wear to his court proceedings. Yeah. And he obviously puts it on in front of her while they're having like a romantic evening in her uh, loft or home or whatever. And the minute she sees him in that suit, it's like, oh my God, you are a man. And then you can almost see a little twinkle in her eye that says, if only you weren't disabled. Like you can honestly see like her getting that direction from the director and then like, making that look into the camera. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Finding pants that fit me well, I hold on to those pants and I'll like wear them just when I really want to look good. And, you know, I've finally been able to find some clothes that I, I feel comfortable in, but it's not only clothes for me. Like sometimes it's like, does showing up in a pair of transpo or having to plan ahead to book a return bus, does that make me look more disabled than I want to look right now? <laughs> Imagine if, like, you became a disabled superstar. I'm listening. You got rich enough to have a private jet. Yeah. And then, like, you start looking into the private jet market for accessible jets, and they're all, like, boxy and lame and in the in the <laughs> shape of a paratransport short bus. Yeah. 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 Like right now, it's frustrating to be like, like, obviously, I don't want to just, I want to be able to go out. Mm -hmm. But then I get insecure that I'm going to look stupid if I'm like, let me just meet you at a place. I'll book a para. 
And then, oh, yeah, you like want to arrive 20 minutes earlier. Right. Because then you also will arrive probably early. Yeah. Or late, depending on when you decide yeah. to book it. Because you don't have any flexibility on when you arrive, just when you schedule the pickup. Yeah. You basically fucking arrive when they feel like it or <laughs> when when they can get you there. Yeah. And then the, the return is, you know, at, at a certain point, you have to be like, I have, instead of saying, I'm sorry, I really like this conversation. When I have to pee, you have to go, I'm sorry, I really like this conversation, but my bus is here. Yeah. And that's the worst feeling. Yeah, there's no way to have like a, a nice book ending to the evening while you're being hoisted onto a paratransport no. bus. There's nothing like, sexy about that. Yeah, like you can't make like sexy small talk and like lean in for a kiss like while... <laughs> Like, while, like, I had a great time. Beep, beep, beep. How are you going to play, sir? (laughs) Yeah. She can't come on the bus with you. (laughs) I have another pickup on the way. (laughs) Yep. Really cool. Do you have a wheel breaker? Uh, Yeah. So you get to be 100% able bodied. Thank you. but, But for 25 hours a week, you have to be. Jacoby Mugatu's secretary and every single workday of your life he spits a hot latte in your face. Is it so hot that I'm gonna burn? No, no. It's okay. it's hot and it's hot enough that he's gonna make like longing eyes at you afterwards. And and also everything makes him farty and bloated. So it's not like you can just figure out what's good for his stomach. And is it like the same time every day? Well, I don't know. It depends how often he needs a foamy latte. So it might be sporadic throughout the day. But it's guaranteed to never be more than once. Ooh, I don't know, man. Uh, I can't... Like, when you work with those temperamental artists, you never know when they're going to freak the fuck out at you. So basically what you're saying is, I work for Mugatu 25 hours a week, and at any point during those hours... I may or may not have a latte spilled on my face. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So a few things to consider here. One is, you know, I'd have to bring a change of clothes, which is fine. I can uh-huh. do that. Not much of a hurdle for me. As an able-bodied person, like that's something I think about, not to make this a huge tangent, but like I have to plan what I'm going to wear that evening in the morning. They like, are not changing midway through the day. Right. So as an able-bodied person... Mugatu spills a coffee on you, you're like, no big deal, I'll just change. Right. So that wouldn't really bother me. The longing eyes, I think I'd get pretty used to that pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't have to reciprocate in any way. No, no, you could could develop a banter with him. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you could set expectations that way. Do I like the job? Like, am I feeling like 25 hours is a waste of my time? I don't know. I think I think at least at the very least you'd always know what was hot right now. That's true. Yeah, Mugatu Mugatu would tell you. That's true. Yeah, and he plus he might because he's the inventor of the necktie, so you might have access to like the free piano ne- key necktie. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you might have access to free piano key neckties. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. a good perk. Yeah, and plus Ninja Star is in the shape of an M. Like you could have a whole collection of them at home. Yeah, you're really selling it for me. Yeah. I will say, I feel like once you have one piano key necktie, you're good. I don't really see the benefit 
in having two piano key neckties. Well, that's the whole thing about the fashion industry is that they are very good at making like a redundant thing seems seem necessary. I feel like working in the fashion industry would be depressing. Really? I don't know. I guess it depends like what kind of fashion. But you'd get to what if what if you got to meet Hansel? It's so hard right now. I know, even at, despite his broken nose. I, this is a tough one because I think <laughs> I, I think I could take it. I think I could handle. It seems like a pretty cool job. Yeah. And this is after his arc of being a bad guy, or is he still a bad guy? Well, that, that's a good question because he can't really exist without child labor. So, that's, well, yeah, but now he's educating children who want to learn how to read good and do other things good too. You're talking about Derek or Mugatu? Well, Mugatu helped fund the center, did he not? Oh, he, yeah, that's true. He did. So he's a bit of a philanthropist. Yeah. To be honest, I think you Mogatu do this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I Mogatu will do it. All right. So end of episode. Oh, yeah. Do you want to go ahead and tell our listeners things? Yeah, we have a cool, cool announcement to celebrate our 50th episode. We have had some, some people have sort of told us we should be doing this and we sort of knew we should be doing it but we felt resistant to the idea because it feels a little i don't know what is the word that it feels well there it does feel more real when money's involved and then there's also more of an obligation to create content and when something starts to feel more of an obligation then it's less of a labor of love so with that (laughs) <laughs> we are planning on releasing a Patreon. Right. Which basically just means if you so choose, absolutely no obligation. We don't, uh, we will give the opportunity for people to support us. Oh, you know what we should do? We have a very close friend that hates our logo, but you know what we should do? We mm-hmm. should make a, we should make a sweater of it. And then send it to him as a Christmas gift. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. We have okay. to do it. I'm down. Yeah. This is a friend who like ostensibly knows things about graphic design and how to brand a podcast. So it would be a fun little act of mischief. Yeah. So speaking of which, our producer Michael also gave us some cool stickers. He did. Yeah. They're the- and- that was a birthday present, actually. He gave me like a hundred, and they're so cool. Yeah, like that. Like uh, that's the fucking most thoughtful thing in the world. How many friends come to your fucking hometown, hundreds of miles away from where you live, and then give you an incredibly thoughtful gift on top yeah. of that? Yeah, what, what a legend! I Super like stand up guy. Yeah, and... I didn't even have to like fucking be hospitable to him. <laughs> like you know your what I mean? I just, I just had to sit there. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So all that to say, we're going to start a Patreon. Should be coming out soon. Keep your eyes open for that. But don't feel obliged in any way to participate. Yeah, please We're not going to make extra episodes for Patreon fans only. We're not going to limit content to people who pay. We might give like some perks to people who pay, like maybe ways to get recognized or participate in discussions with us. But we have no plans of 
paywalling our content ever. Uh, that's not why we're doing this. Yeah, It's really just, you know, we do incur a bit of a cost to put these things out. and We do, especially after a year. Yeah, so if it, at the very least it, it helps recoup some of that, that's awesome. But, you know, I, I also don't think, you know, Jamie did say it is true that sometimes when you put something like that out there and maybe it feels like a little bit more of an obligation and we've always sort of looked at this as a fun side project and I don't see any reason that this would change that. I think we're still going to love doing it just as much and, you know, I, I just want to add that little disclaimer, I guess. Yeah, so look out for a Patreon. If you decide you want to support us, that's awesome. If you can't or you don't want to, that's totally fine. We appreciate just listening and having discussions with you. Honestly, really, the best way you can support us is to just like engage with us on social media and help spread the word. That's a very, very good point. Yeah, we love hearing from people. And I mean that. Yeah. I'm not just being a fucking polite. Totally. We, Jamie and I talk about almost every day. We'll be like, did you see that cool message? That was so nice of them. Yeah. Oh, that's a great movie. We should watch that. Yeah, it fucking makes my day. Yeah. That is the best way for you to support us. Uh, there will be one tier at least where you can get one of those stickers. Oh, yeah. So they are cool. That'll pay for itself. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we should make coasters or something. Yeah, they would lend themselves to coasters pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I just uh, we wanted to say that, get that out there. It is a bit weird for us because we don't, I don't know if it's imposter syndrome or something but there is something that makes it feel very cringy to talk about money involved in this project true it does but whatever that's it it's out there zoolander is a really movie that's out there yep jamie is really really ridiculously good looking that's out as there. are you tony really 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 ridiculously good looking and funny really really <laughs> really ridiculously good looking we should say Merry Christmas to people, too. Or Happy Holidays or whatever the fuck. Yeah, whatever you do for the next couple of weeks, that's yeah. up to you. But we hope you have a good time. Yeah, we also, I hope you eat shortbread because that's my favorite dessert. Go eat shortbread, motherfuckers. Shortbread is fucking delicious. Oh, we agree. I feel like I haven't made my point clear enough, especially as the holidays roll around and I'm accumulating some baked goods. I like baked goods okay i do all right it's just okay no no no. don't need yeah, to elaborate stop. from there yeah full stop yeah, you're right okay bye everyone uh, yeah bye we're gonna take a couple weeks off have yep. some fun we'll still be around if you want to send us some messages but we just won't be putting out episodes so enjoy your time off enjoy not listening to us that's gonna be good for you <laughs> and take care everyone Thank you for your support. Okay, yeah, bye, 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 everyone.